Welcome to the very first issue of the Weekly Climate. My name is Michael and I'm the host of the Weekly Climate podcast. This episode covers the week from August 10 to August 16, 2020. Because this is the very first one, I'm going to explain a few basics of the podcast. First of all, the sections. Each episode will be divided into sections which will likely change and adapt to new topics that arise, but at this point, the podcast contains the following sections. Number one is, if you can read only one article this week, climate and science, technology, startups, investing, major carbon emitters, politics, climate justice, books, other, and finally, podcasts. Many of these are self-explanatory, but I just want to explain a few. In the, if you can only read one article this week, I highlight one article that I think is especially important for the previous week. In the major carbon emitters, I highlight news about the major carbon emitters, that is mostly fossil fuel industry, but also other companies and organizations that are emitting in some way. This is because I believe that we all need to watch these very carefully. Climate justice is a big all catch-all category at the moment, but I believe that this is central to solving the climate crisis right, especially when, when one look at the developing countries. Finally, the podcast category. Here I briefly summarize key climate crisis podcasts this week. And if I'm missing yours, please let me know by sending an email to michael at weeklyclimate.com. Because this is the very first newsletter, I have cherry-picked a few items from the week before August 10 that are important in order to follow a few of the news items this week. And now for a quick summary of the week. It has been a week full of good, bad and weird news. Among the good news are the 89 billion of stranded assets recently reported by seven of the oil majors. A UK solar company beats the world record in solar panel efficiency. And a report shows that renewable energy deployment have doubled over the past five years. On the bad side, the week saw the death of a famous climate scientist unfortunately due to an accident the second hottest month ever recorded on the planet, and the melting of Greenland ice sheets may have reached a point of no return. Among the weird news were BP's announcement of winding down oil production and the following environmental movements applause. Alright, on to the main content. If you can read only one article this week. The most important article this week is written by Akshat Rathi, who uses his many years of reporting in the climate space to distill five key ideas to keep in mind when fighting the climate crisis. The five ideas are 1. Adaptation without mitigation is futile. 2. To cut, first measure. 3. Focusing on blame slows progress. 4. Markets and regulation, not versus. 5. Avoid technology login. Everyone fighting the climate crisis should hold these dear to their heart, yet it is likely that number four will make many in the environmental movement stomach churn. Number three resonated with me a lot. There's so much tribalism going on still between climate solution tribes. It is so counterproductive. And now for some climate and science news. A new study led by a couple of lead authors of recent IPCC reports indicate that air pollution is a more costly negative externality to burning fossil fuels than we thought. If we stop burning fossil fuels, quote, the air quality co-benefits are generally so valuable that they exceed the cost of climate action, often many times over. The authors have quantified that stopping air pollution from burning fossil fuels would prevent 4.5 million premature deaths, 
3.5 million hospitalizations or emergency room visits or, and 350 million lost workdays. And the study only looked at the US. For the economy, these numbers mean a lot, obviously. The avoided deaths alone are valued at 37 trillion, reduced healthcare costs are valued at 37 billion, and increased labor productivity is valued at 75 billion. This means that over the next 50 years, this amounts to over $700 billion saved annually, which adds a significant discount on the cost of mitigating and adapting to climate change. The authors even claim that the money saved from not polluting the air alone will pay for the mitigation and adaptation efforts of the climate crisis. The implications of this are huge. If this is true, then it means that solving the climate crisis will pay for itself. It also sounds a bit too good, to be honest. But what are we really waiting for? The climate science world has been shocked to learn about the death of Conrad Coney Steffen, who died as a result of an accident on Greenland. Police said he fell into a crevasse, which likely was exacerbated by climate change, and drowned into the deep water below. Conrad was a dedicated climate scientist who is known for his 40-year-long career of studying the Arctic and Antarctic. He was one of the first scientists to sound the alarm about Greenland's melting ice sheets. And more, and unfortunately related bad news. A paper in Nature Communications Earth and Environment describes how the Greenland ice sheets has reached a point of no return. This means that even if global warming stopped today, then the ice sheet wouldn't be able to sustain itself. Looking at data for the past 40 years, the authors have determined that the snowfall that usually replenishes the ice sheet each year cannot keep up with the melting of the ice sheet. This is bad news, since if all Greenland ice melted, it would result in a 7-meter sea level rise. And more sad news, although of a different kind. The US National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also known as NOAA, reported that July 2020 was the second hottest month ever recorded on the planet, tied with July in 2016. The hottest month ever recorded is still July 2019, but only by 0.01 centigrade. I can't wait for July next year, but by then the temperature anomalies are going to be so normal that we'll just shrug it off, just that we will shrug this one off. And now for technology news. A detailed report from Ember is diving into how solar and wind energy is now providing more and more electricity to the global energy grids. If you need a kick up optimism, read this. What I find particularly encouraging is that global installed renewables have doubled since 2015 from 5% to 10%. If we can keep it up, then it's looking pretty good, but it will still only put us at 40% by 2030. As the report also notes, the ramping down of coal is not going fast enough. Although coals are being replaced by renewables, we need to speed it up. By 2030, we need to be at 79% reduction from 2019 numbers. Also, as a humble brag, Denmark, my home country, is number one at 64% of renewable electricity. Hoodly hood, as we say. Scientists have managed to make bricks power a small LED light. Yep, you read that right. Bricks, like in bricks in your house. Think about the good old potato battery, but with bricks. The fact that they managed to get it to work is a small but crucial step in proving the technology could work. Now the work begins in figuring out how to increase the energy storage capacity of the bricks. For this very first experiment, it takes 50 bricks to power a 3-watt emergency light for 50 minutes. 
so there's still some way to go to get to megawatt scale storage. However, according to one Quora answer, an average one-story home could contain as many as 8,000 bricks, meaning that if the technology scales linearly, then the 8,000 bricks could output 480 watts for 50 minutes or store the equivalent of roughly 400 watt-hours. Oxford PV have beaten the world record for the most efficient solar panel. The most efficient solar panel to date converts 22% of incoming solar energy to electricity, but Oxford beat that with a new panel which measured 27.6% efficiency. The panel is using a crystal first discovered at 1839 known as perovskite, which not only makes the solar panel more efficient, but also black instead of blue, which may make the panel blend in better with regular rooftops. Oxford PV expects to be able to bring the new solar panel to market in 2021. As climate change progresses over the coming years, we are likely to see more and more heat waves. California is experiencing one right now with temperatures above 37 centigrade, 100 Fahrenheit. This leads to high air conditioning loads even during the evenings because it doesn't cool down very much. This puts a strain on California's state-of-the-art renewable grids that aims to go zero carbon by 2045. The grid operator Kaiso had to send out a flex alert that asked consumers to limit power needs during the Friday evening due to lack of power. California has the US highest amount of energy storage, 216 megawatt to be exact, but even that amount is not enough to handle the evening peak. It's likely only going to get tougher as California is also shutting down the, its only nuclear power plant, the Apple Cannon, in 2025. It just goes to show how important energy storage will be in a renewable energy future. And an update to this story from Saturday. The grid operator had to issue rolling blackouts Friday night, August 14, to reduce the load on the grid after stage 3 emergency was declared. This is the first time this has happened since 2001. And now for some startup news. A promising new battery technology by company Form Energy is hoped to solve one of the biggest issues with energy storage, long duration storage. Long duration storage is currently prohibitively expensive to do with regular lithium ion batteries. Therefore, long duration storage is typically solved using fossil gas pika plants. But if Form Energy's technology works, then perhaps no more. Form Energy's technology is based on aqueous air, which is a technology that the author of this podcast must admit he has never heard about. But it just won a contract to deploy the first plant-sized version of the technology, a 1 megawatt, 150 megawatt hour plant in Cambridge, Minnesota. It's going to be exciting to follow. If it, if it works, that's going to make 100% renewable energy scenarios a lot more likely. P.S. Fossil gas is the new natural gas. Pass it on. Scottish heat battery startup Sunamp raises 4.5 million British pounds to capitalize on the growth market opportunities in global markets. The battery is a so-called thermal storage and can store energy that can be released and used to heat water in the home and other applications. The thermal battery, for instance, works great in association with solar panels on the roof. The financing round is led by Chilean VC firm Aurus. A new Swedish unicorn has appeared, Oatly. Oatly, which produces vegan food brands, has raised a round of financing that puts them at a valuation of $2 billion. The $200 million round was not without its raised eyebrows, though. The round was led by Blackstone, which are known for having close ties with the Trump administration and for evicting a lot of people from their houses during COVID-19, which, according to the UN, has exacerbated the housing crisis. According to some, Oatly are selling its soul. Oatly sees it as a way to put bad money to good use. 
And now for some investing news. If you're into startups and the climate crisis, you will without a doubt have heard about Jason Jacobs' excellent podcast, My Climate Journey, known as MCJ in the following. If you haven't, you know what to do now. Last week, he announced that he's raising a climate VC fund to invest in startup. Climate VCs are popping up all over the place now, so one can only assume there's soon going to be a rush of entrepreneurs and startups to the space, for good and bad. But Jason Jacobs has fast become a go-to name in the space, so this can only be good. Everyone working on the climate crisis held their breath as the COVID-19 crisis wreaked havoc on the financial system. How will the banks react, especially many of those who promised to divest in the fossil fuel industry? Whatever you think of BP's announcement, see next item. It can only be good news in the fight against the fossil fuel industry that banks continue to believe fossil fuel industry to be a bad investment, even after COVID-19. If only they would take even bolder action. Still, it's a start. And now for some news about major carbon emitters. BP recently announced that it will wind down production of oil and gas by 30-40% to 40% by 2030. I should be celebrating together with all the environmental organizations, yet I am not. In 2001 they changed their name to Beyond Petroleum after a series of bad press. And what exactly happened? Well, they didn't exactly move Beyond Petroleum if that's what you were thinking. Unless Beyond means producing more petroleum than ever. But for some reason, all the major environmental organizations from 350 founder Bill McKibben in this article to Greenpeace are clapping on the sidelines at their new announcement. I remain skeptical. Like, highly incredibly skeptical. I think that two things are happening here. One, as Bill writes in the article, BP stock price saw 7% after the announcement. And two, the environmental organizations need to let the members know that what they're doing works. The former is greenwashing, the latter is fair and applaudable. Culture Unstained, which is a research and engagement and campaigning organization which aims to end fossil fuel sponsorship of culture, published an excellent piece on why we should be wary of better petroleum promises like this. See more in the show notes or the newsletter. The Energy Gang also discusses better petroleum's announcement in the podcast this week. More information on that later. Perhaps connected to the previous item is the fact that seven top oil firms, BP among them, have downgraded their assets by $89 billion in the past nine months. Yay, this is great news. Oil firms blame government policies and COVID-19 pandemic for the write-offs. It's great to see a substantial amount of stranded assets, and it might be the only argument for believing better petroleum's announcement. However, I've been unable to find out how many oil assets the same company have in total. So although $89 billion sounds like a lot, I would be interested in figuring out how big a percentage of total assets this is. If anybody knows, please let me know on michael at weeklyclimate.com. In the 90s, 11 Chinese chemical plants installed equipment to destroy a byproduct, nitrous oxide, which resulted from their production of various chemical products. Nitrous oxide is a greenhouse gas which is 300 times more powerful than CO2. Installing this equipment allowed the plants to sell more carbon credits for disposing of the dangerous greenhouse gas. It was very lucrative as the equipment paid for itself in just 19 days of operation. However, as the carbon credit scheme ended, there was no longer any incentive to keep on running the equipment and nitrous oxide emissions continued uh, unabated. 
Unfortunately, this is yet another story of carbon credit schemes being deployed in a bad and damaging way. Stan.Earth and Amazon Watch has published a report that accuses a number of big European banks for having double standard when it comes to climate change commitments. In the report, Stan.Earth and Amazon Watch says that the largest baggers of a shipment of Ecuadorian crude oil to the US worth $10 billion were Inc, Credit Suisse, Natixis, BNP Paribas, UBS and Rabobank. Any bank that directly finances operations like that in the Amazon rainforest are complicit in the growing threats to the rainforest. This stands in stark contrast to the April 7, 2020 rupture of an Ecuadorian pipeline that caused one of the worst oil spills in the country's history, and also in stark contrast to most of the bank's climate change commitments. See Banking on Climate Change for more info. And the irony is really flowing out of this one, literally. Apparently, climate change is poised to thaw the soil beneath a ConocoPhillips coming oil drilling project on Alaska's North Slope, making its rigs and roads vulnerable to the same global warming which the project will be aggravating. The company's solution? Giant chillers should be deployed at the drill sites in order to protect the drill sites from thawing. If you heard a slap, that was in fact a facepalm. And now for some news about politics. Saul Griffith, MacArthur Genius Award winner, founder of private research lab Other Lab in San Francisco, inventor, entrepreneur and more, has made many public talks about energy and the climate crisis. And we are going to link to a long and great one in the newsletter. He made a very nice Sankey diagram mapping all energy inputs and outputs of the US economy, among other things. He and his team have been researching a big plan for how to decarbonize the U.S. economy 70 to 80 percent by 2035. The plan is big, bold, needed, and a very interesting read, and are being called a technical manual for the Green New Deal. One can only hope that somebody picks up the ball here in Europe. And we are going to link a summary to a summary of the report in the newsletter. And also, this week's Energy Gang podcast episode discussed the plan in great detail. More information on that later. Big Oil is pouring millions into Trump campaign funds. Yeah, let's just hope that the era of Trump and fossil fuel industry is over soon, but it just goes to show how important the US election in November will be. And furthermore, Trump has removed the legal requirement to monitor methane leaks by oil companies. And even the oil majors are like, dude, too much. That's, that's actually true. The subtitle for the article we link in the newsletter is Even ExxonMobil and BP oppose the EPA's decision to eliminate regulations on methane. Listen, when your dick-ass fascist president is doing something that even the fossil fuel industry thinks is too much, then maybe it's time to get him out of the office. But then again, I wonder whether the millions in campaign funds from the previous news item had anything to do with this. And also, I don't really understand the protection part of the Environmental Protection Agency. And now, climate justice. Yet another assault on a forest by the fossil fuel industry is occurring in India. In developing countries, there's always a very difficult trade-off between providing electricity to its population and reducing carbon emissions. In many developing countries, it's just not as simple to use solar instead of coal because jobs and local natural resources may suggest otherwise. But in this case, it seems perverse as the article cites a study that indicates that not only is India the cheapest place to produce solar power, but a solar industry would also create 1.6 million jobs, which is way more than a domestic coal production would. But then again, India has a secretary for coal, Mr. Madhirala Nakaraju, 
Seems like the fossil fuel lobby has a strong hand on this one. And now book reviews. The two main provocateurs of the environmental movement, Bjorn Lombo and Michael Schillenberger, are back with two new books, False Alarm and Apocalypse Never. Bob Ward from The Guardian reviewed them and he's not happy. Both Schillenberger and Lombo are blamed of cherry-picking facts and reaching lukewarm conclusions. I personally read Schellenberger's book, and although he's rending a bit, you can't argue with a number of the core facts in his book. 1. Environmental organizations and their fossil fuel associations. 2. The complete public disregard of nuclear power as a potential way to run our electricity grids in the future, if it can be done faster and cheaper. And 3. The tendency in the public discourse to completely overlook the developing world. And Bob Ward of The Guardian also agrees with this. And now for all the other stuff that we couldn't fit into any other category than the other category. Former Beatle Paul McCartney signs up as an earth protector to stop ecocide. If you haven't heard about ecocide, it started by now deceased lawyer Polly Higgins as an attempt to get ecocide, which is the destruction of nature, tried as a criminal offense. There's a brief primer on ecocide, uh, just in case you haven't heard about it, there's a link in the show notes and the newsletter. And we think that it's important that celebrities like Paul McCartney uses their brand to stand up for important causes like this one. So thank you, sir. And now for your listening pleasure, podcasts. My Climate Journey, episode 116, Philip Bean, who is the CEO of Imperfect Foods. This was an interesting episode in which they discussed the food weight problem and how startups can help and much more. Imperfect Foods source food from farmers that cannot be sold to supermarkets for various cosmetic reasons. Among the most interesting part of the podcast was a discussion about how Imperfect Foods measure their impact on climate change. They discuss how food waste can move around and how Imperfect Foods influence that. Very interesting. Decouple, episode Thoughts to Plowshares, How to Get Rid of Nuclear Weapons, featuring James Conger. Dr. Kiefer, who is an MD, is back with another insightful episode about nuclear power. Did you know that 20,000 nuclear bombs has been used to power the U.S. electricity grid? In this episode, Dr. Kiefer talks with James Conger about how nuclear power plants can and has been used to turn disarmed nuclear bombs into cheap, clean, and safe electricity. The Energy Gang, the era of super-hybrid renewables for oil majors. This one is actually from the previous week, but I think it was so interesting I decided to add it to this first issue as well. In this episode, the Energy Gang discusses super-hybrid renewable energy plants. I went into it with the following attitude. <sighs> what are the oil majors up to now? But went out of it puzzled but optimistic. The episode discusses a renewable energy plant in the Netherlands that utilizes a wide array of technologies. Wind, floating solar, batteries and green hydrogen production. It's a very interesting approach to constructing a renewable power plant that has increased flexibility in terms of what it can do based on what's available. What's puzzling is that Shell is one of the partners in this plant. The Energy Gang, episode, The Economic Case for Electrifying Everything. In this week's episode, The Energy Gang discusses Saul Griffith's Rewiring America plan, also mentioned earlier in this podcast. The gang highlight a few things from the report, like the ambitious cost reduction needed for nuclear and solar, and their job creation analysis, among other things. They also discuss leadership versus new technology and what's really needed. Apart from the Rewiring American plan, the gang also discusses BP's announcement, which we also mentioned earlier in this podcast. They're also skeptical that BP and the rest of the oil majors are going to be the ones who will carry 
through our much-needed energy transition. The Interchange, episode The Climate Tech Hype Cycle, Buy, Sell or Hold. Shail Khan, Managing Director of Energy Impact Partners, tweeted the, a graph that you can see in the newsletter. It is a classic Gardner hype cycle graph where Shale has mapped his view on different energy technologies. In this episode, they go through a couple of technologies and discusses how hyped they are and whether they should buy if it's underhyped, sell if it's overhyped, or hold if it's just in the right Goldilocks zone among all these technologies. The technologies they go through and what Shale and Steven would do with them are green hydrogen, which both Shale and Steven want to hold, which means that the hype is high but it's warranted, micromobility, where they say buy, residential energy storage, where they say buy, direct air capture, which Steven want to sell and Shale want to hold, and blockchain, Shale want to sell and Steven want to hold. For what it's worth, I find the buy on micromobility weird from a climate perspective. It has been shown many times over that e-scooters are bad for the environment and climate in general. However, I really agree with their view on blockchain and the rest of their calls, by the way. I was so in love with the blockchain technology, but it has gotten nothing to show for it in the climate. That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know on michael at weeklyclimate.com. See you all next week. Thank you.